Blog Talk Radio. Well, our show opening didn't come on today, so you're going to hear directly from me. Welcome to Small Business Digest. Uh, I'm your host, Don Masella. We we have an interesting program. Uh, well, I always like to think we always have interesting program, but um, small businesses have often been uh, the um, foreteller of future events. And one of the biggest things that's happening in this world is artificial intelligence. And we have with us today, Nori Beckhar. He's CEO of uh, Law Geek. I love the, it says give the Law Geeks, and I'm gonna, he's a leading, leading contract review platform. I'm not going to say any more because we're going to let him uh, tell us all about it uh, and how he uses artificial intelligence. But first, um, we have a question for you. Tell us a little bit about yourself personally, Dory, and welcome to the program. Sure. Thanks a lot, Don. I'm happy to be here. So I'll tell tell you a bit about my personal journey. Um, I used to work as a business lawyer at the biggest law firm in Israel for several years, representing all kinds of businesses in different types of transactions, from small collaborations to big mergers and acquisitions. And after doing that for a couple of years, I realized two things. One was that I wanted to become an entrepreneur. And the second was that the way legal was practiced completely didn't make sense. And this is what I'm trying to change right now with Logix. Okay. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. You decided that. Those are the two things you wanted to do. So how did you do it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I I came, like I said, from the legal background. I knew I needed um, someone from a technical background to help me uh, start the company. So I partnered with our CTO and VP R&D, Mr. Ilan Admon, who is an AI expert. And the challenge I gave him, essentially, is I told him, listen, I've been reviewing these contracts for many years now. And I know that they are pretty repetitive, meaning that after you saw a couple of contracts, you have a very good sense of what the next contract is going to look like from a specific type of contract. So I told Elon, why don't we try to automate this process? Why don't we try to develop an artificial intelligence engine that can read contracts automatically? And this is exactly what we did. We now have a computerized engine that can take any contract, read it automatically, similar to the way a lawyer does, and compare it to all of the other contracts that he's seen in the past. Using this technology, we essentially can identify things which are problematic in the contract, like clauses in the contract which are not standard and don't appear in most other contracts in the database, or things which should be in the contract and aren't there, things that appear in most other contracts and are not there. We flag all these issues, we explain them in plain English, and translate the legalese to a language that a, a person without legal background can understand, and essentially empower people to make better decisions about contracts they need to sign on their own. Okay. But 
Um, I know, again, I've done many contracts in my life and, uh, and always, uh, whenever possible, run it by a lawyer. But, yes, contracts should have certain things in them. But every contract in some way or another is unique. How does a, a artificial intelligence, as you call it, AI, work into it and deal with the special circumstances that usually occur with many contracts? That's a great question. So what we found, you know, what I found after uh, handling thousands of contracts in my uh, previous life as a lawyer is that although each contract is a bit different from the others, you, can, you should think about reviewing contracts as having a checklist of stuff that you need to make sure are in the contract and stuff that you need to make sure are not there. This is essentially what the lawyer does when he gets a new contract. He reads it and tries to identify problems. Problems are things that should be there and are not in the contract and things that shouldn't be there and are in the contract. And the way our technology works is we feed it first with thousands of contracts. We train our technology, our engine, by giving it thousands of contracts to analyze. So next time it sees a new contract, it simply compares that contract to all of the other similar, similar ones that it saw in the past. This way, very similar to the way a lawyer's brain works, it can identify stuff which are not standard in the contract. And the, what's beautiful about this technology is, you know, because it's a computer, it remembers everything, it doesn't get tired, and it doesn't get distracted. So with every new contract that it sees, this engine becomes smarter and smarter. And we are all about empowering the business, the business person, to make better decisions on his own. So we give him the report about his contract. We explain in plain English what are the problems in the contract. And then we give him the tools to make a decision on his own what he wants to do. What he wants to do might be, okay, I'm fine with these issues. I can sign the contract. Or I want to negotiate one or two things. Or I even want to involve a lawyer because I'm in over my head. This is another option. Well, well, let's go a little bit um, uh, deeper, and you may have just uh, answered the question. You, you know, now, for instance, uh, completion dates or uh, how you decide whether uh, an order is filled, or et cetera. How does the, how does the uh, your system help the uh, the client make sure these things are in there and defined in the correct way? Or in a great way question. that every yeah yeah great question uh, again. So the way we we tackle it typically is we would draw the user's attention to the specific issue. Let's take your question about completion date. We will, for example, you know, tell the user, listen, I'm now reviewing your commercial lease. This lease says that the term is one year. Typically, terms for commercial leases are between one to I don't know five years with a clause allowing you to automatically renew the contract, are you okay with this one-year term? So we give him the information he needs to really understand the, what he's getting into and to make a better decision on his own based on the information and the feedback that you provide him. But in the end, we are empowering him to make the decision. He is the one that knows what are his specific circumstances, what, are, what is his tolerance, 
and what are his preferences in terms of the specific deal. And the way you should think about it is, you know, before the world before Logix had two options. One option would be to handle the contract on your own, which many business people found is very frustrating because you don't have the information about what is standard, what should be there, what shouldn't be there, or to hire a lawyer. And in many cases, hiring a lawyer is too expensive. The deal itself is not, does not have a big enough value for me to be able to pay a lawyer hundreds or thousands of dollars. And now that Logix was introduced, we're essentially creating a whole new alternative for these people, for these businesses. Not doing it themselves, not hiring a lawyer, but rather using a technology to review the contract first, and then making an informed decision what should be the next step. Well, um, okay, I have a contract. I come to you and say, I want you to look at it. What does it cost me, and uh, how do you charge? Yeah, so it's pretty straightforward. You have a contract. You upload it to our uh, website. Um, everything is done online, very simple upload process. And then, first of all, we'll give you free of charge a basic analysis of your contract, telling you um, essentially how standard or not your contract is compared to our database. And then if you want to take it a step further and see a full report about your contract, what exactly is wrong in it, then you need to pay. Our payment is... Um, either a subscription model, which ranges from $80 per month to several hundreds of dollars, depending on the amount of contracts that you need each month, or you can do a one-off payment, which is $50. So you pay $50, and you can get the report about your specific contract. Well, that's reasonable. Um, That's reasonable. Uh, Is it a smart... You know, the question is, is it smarter for your lawyer to uh, develop the contract or have their lawyer develop it? Um, and uh, under your system, if, if I'm reading it right, you have their lawyer uh, draw up the contract and you use it to check to see whether uh, – whether, because every, every contract uh, that's drawn up is drawn up in favor of the, of the uh, entity that's um, – paying for it. Um, how do you... Um... Don, that's absolutely true what you just said. So, you know, if I am a small business, my preference would obviously be to use my own form of a contract. But very often, as a small business, I'm in a disadvantage. I can't always enforce my own contract, my own template. So I have to receive a contract and now to check that contract to make sure that there aren't major issues in it. And this is where things start getting complicated and expensive. And this is exactly the problem that we are aiming to solve. Uh, I'm I'm thinking in particular there's a major um, uh, retailer here in the United States who uh, has the most onerous contracts imaginable. And if you're a small business, you either take it or leave it. uh, and uh, people have shown me the contract, and I'm always amazed that they sign it. Uh, yeah. I wonder, in some cases, you don't have any choice. It's survival or not. But it's just yeah, interesting. Of 
Um, do you provide advice? Uh, uh, for instance, we get, get the contract back and it says these things. Do you provide a, a stable of recommended lawyers, or do you leave it up to the individual to um, find the, the attorney? Yeah, of course. So you mentioned two things. The first thing about a take-it-or-leave-it situation is just like you said, right? You want to make sure that you're not getting into something which puts you or your business in a very big risk, right? Because it's either, if, if that is the case, you might want to skip the deal. Say, okay, I, I understand guys aren't willing to negotiate, but I am not willing to sign this contract and put myself in such a big risk. And all you want to know is how big is the risk so you can make an informed decision. And this is something we can definitely help with. On the other question um, that you had about um, providing legal advice and lawyers, so right now what happens is you get the automated report, you read it, you understand it, and if you ask for additional help, we can definitely get the lawyer, um, an experienced U.S. lawyer, to help you take it to the next step, help you negotiate, help you revise the contract, help you understand it better, understand your circumstances better, so we can definitely connect you to, to a designated lawyer. And people are free to ask us to help them or obviously use a lawyer of their choosing. What, what about the question about uh, these laws shall be governed by the state of New Jersey, the state of New York? Uh, what, what does your system say about that? It, to make sure it just says where it is, or does it make recommendations as to where the laws should be, um, where yeah, the contract? So, so, of course. So obviously, uh, we don't we don't know um, what are your specific preferences, or even. If you, where are you located? The way we would tackle a governing law clause is we would flag it for you, explain to you what it means, and tell you, give you kind of a tip, telling you you want, you generally want the governing law to be a governing law of your state, of a state that you, or a state that you are familiar with, right? Otherwise, you might, if you, if the, if this contract goes into litigation you might end up in a jurisdiction that you're not familiar with and you might have your contract get interpreted by a law which you are not familiar with. So you will need to find a lawyer in that state to help you handle it. And it typically puts it typically put you in a disadvantaged position. Mm. So we explain all these things to you, but in the end you are the one that makes the decision what do you want the governing law to be. Mm. Well, um, based on, on your experience so far, what are some of the um, uh, areas that, often, that most often come up uh, when, when people submit a contract to you that you notice are troublesome? Yeah, another great question. So it really depends on the type of contract that people upload to our, to our uh, website. Um, there are a, a very a common issue that gets raised is non-compete clauses, um, provisions that prevent one business from competing with the other business. This is um, generally a big no-no, um, and people don't want to get into these um, obligations unless there is a big consideration which is get, being paid to them. Especially if I'm a service provider, 
unless I'm getting, you know, some kind of big compensation for this exclusivity that I'm giving you, I definitely want to be able to go and provide a similar service to your competitor. Maybe that's, that's my all, all of my business, right? So non-compete clauses are tricky, and we definitely flag them, explain them, and make sure our users understand what they're getting into. This is something which is very, very common and, 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 and comes up in many, many contracts. Well, also another area in this, uh, well, who owns the customer list? Do you, uh, how do you deal with, how does your system deal with that? Yeah, so this goes into a, a broader area, which is essentially, you know, all of the work products of this um, relationship, all of the intellectual property that gets generated, all of the lists, all of the information, who owns them, right? So we are not in a position to tell you, listen, in your scenario, you should own them or the other guy should own them. But we can definitely explain what the clause says and give you tips and explanations and pointers on making informed decision if you can or should agree to it. So as long as you understand what you're getting into, and what is standard or not standard. So, for example, I can tell you, listen, in this type of contract, a clause saying that all of the IP belongs to the other guy is not standard. Okay, great. Now you understand that it's not standard, and you're thinking, can I live with this or not? Am I really going to generate any IP which I care about and want to own? If not, I might be able to live with that. If yes, I should object. Well, Nori, before we go any further, we're talking with Nori Becker. Uh, uh, tell people uh, and spell out your website and how they can reach you and everything about your company um, because it's an interesting conversation. But tell us, again, your website and, and how it works. Of course. So our website is logix.com. Logix is spelled L A W. G E X logix.com. Uh, pretty straightforward, very simple process. You come to our website, you upload the contract that you need to sign, and we'll check it for you. We'll use artificial intelligence to read the contract, compare it to a database of many similar contracts, and then tell you what, what are the potential problems in your contract. What's missing from the contract, what's inside the contract that might put you at risk, and give you plain English explanations about the different things that we identify in the contract. All of this is used to essentially empower you as a business person to make better and more informed decisions on your own. You can decide to sign, you can decide to negotiate, or even decide to involve a lawyer, but you make much more informed decisions once you use us. We've just got an email across our desk Asking a question, what about indemnification? Um, yeah. That's all. Can you go into that a little bit? What you find in, in uh, with that? Yeah, of course. So indemnification is a tricky one because it uh, it varies very much from uh, industry to industry, from service to service. 
um, you know, if I'm providing you with a service that is very valuable, which even can put, put you as another business at, at a big risk, then indemnification might be very high. On the flip side, if I'm providing you with a service which is not so valuable and the risk from the service is very low, you might, you know, I, I might insist on keeping the indemnification pretty low. That said, there are certain stuff which are pretty um, common practice. For example, when you uh, agree to indemnification, you typically want to carve out indirect damages. This we've seen across all industries, no matter if the contract is small or big. So the way we um, analyze an indemnification clause is, again, helping you understand what the clause means, what are its different parts, and what exposures and obligations and liabilities it creates for you. After you, get, after you read the explanation, you are in a much better position to make an informed decision on your own. And if then you still want to talk to a specific lawyer about your circumstances, your specific industry, you can do that, but you can have a much more informed discussion with him and obviously use the lawyer, which is an expensive resource, much more, much more cost effectively. Well, uh, Nori, some people don't, often don't realize how important that becomes uh, until they get involved with it. I have a, another one that came. Um, how do how do you deal with, with when they ask uh, for that they can uh, your the counterparty can uh, can, can um, uh, get out of contract if if you go bankrupt. How do you deal with the bankruptcy part of, of contracts, or uh, what you've seen uh, again in your experience? Yeah, you know, this this is more. Uh, I can answer that more from my business, uh, from my business uh, law history background. Um, typically, you have two uh, situations in the contract life, right? When the contract is valid and enforceable, that's one thing. But when the other guy, one of the guys in the contract, uh, breaches it or becomes insolvent or bankrupt, it's, it's a whole different scenario, right? And trying to um, govern that, to decide what is going to happen once the other guy goes bankrupt, is, is a bit difficult because that uh, also um, is very much affected but by what state and federal law says about that, right? We can write whatever we want in the contract, but if there's a state law saying, you know, once a person, once a business goes bankrupt, um, all all uh, lawsuits have to go through a special process, then what can we do? Whatever you write in the contract is very limited. So the way we would tackle it again is if we see a clause talking about uh, what happens in bankruptcy, we will flag it for you, explain the different scenarios, Make sure you understand pretty much, you know, what standard or not in terms of bankruptcy provisions, and then you can make a decision. But you know, if you would come to me as as a lawyer back back when I was practicing, I would say that it's pretty hard to to you know to really really determine what's going to happen when a business gets bankrupt. Typically, when when a business gets bankrupt, um, people you know people obviously lose money and lose business. And there are a lot of people waiting in line to 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 
recover some of their money. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, Nuri, um, uh, in closing, what are the three things you, uh, you tell um, anybody who's uh, going about uh, writing a contract and reviewing a contract? What are the two or three or four things that you, you think are critical in any contract? Yeah, so, so this answer might surprise you. You know, after being uh, after practicing as a lawyer for several years, I can tell you that it's always important to remember that the contract is just a tool that is designed to support and serve the business. So once contracts start um, overcoming and, and taking control over the business and becoming a hurdle for the business, you should stop and ask yourself what is wrong here. If you see that the contract, the negotiation, the atmosphere um, start getting problematic and that you're allocating more and more resources and that the deal gets delayed, you should stop and ask yourself what's wrong here. It might be something that you need to solve in this specific case or it might be something to solve going forward in the way you handle your contract, you handle your processes, and this is the way you should um, think about contracts. Always they should serve the business and not the other way around. And it's very, very often I saw cases where people were so deep in the contract that they forgot that it's just a tool for the business. So this would be, you know, my main takeaway, and this is what we are trying to do with Logix. Each thing that we flag has a very strong focus on the business logic behind it. We don't just talk about legal stuff because we want to raise and educate you on legal stuff. We try to only raise the stuff that are important for you as a business and always try to think how can we push the deal forward, how can we help you to make informed decisions that make the deal uh, get closed faster rather than delay stuff. So this is very important. Hmm. Uh, uh, Nari, you've been a wonderful guest. Tell our audience again uh, your website. So they can go there, and if they want to talk to you directly, if they can. Of course. So um, our website is logix.com, L-A-W-G-E-E-X.com. My email is nuri, N-O-O-R-Y, at logix.com. Feel free to reach out. You, can, you also have a contact us page on the website. So if you don't remember my email, you can just shoot me an email through that contact us page. And Don, thanks a lot for having me. It was a real pleasure. Well, no, thank you. Uh, I, I know I learned a lot, and I hope our audience did as well. Thank you, Nori, for being w- with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. You too. Thank you very much. Blog Talk Radio. Our next guest uh, really brings a subject that uh, several people have asked about in recent weeks. And when when I happened to hear about her, I thought it would be an uh, excellent opportunity. Laura McLeod uh, has a fascinating career, which I'm going to ask her right now to talk about. Uh, and her, the subject really is managing hourly uh, 
workers and uh, hopefully at the end we'll talk a little bit when we decide we have to separate from them. Laura, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Don. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, uh, Laura, uh, as we do with every guest, tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we get into anything else. Sure. Uh, Well, I uh, originally came to New York, which is where I live now, uh, to pursue a career as an actress and a dancer, which I was relatively successful in, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, And in the meantime, while doing that, I also spent many, many years as an hourly employee. I worked as a bartender and a server in a large uh, Manhattan hotel. And uh, later on, I took that experience and I went back to school, got my uh, master's degree in social work and a license uh, to be a social worker. And I combined the two. Um, uh, The way I did this was I had realized that um, in my all my many years serving drinks and serving people, that um, the group of hourly employees, we had a lot of issues that were um, social work type issues. It had to do with communication and grudges we were holding and personal things that were stopping us from really being happy at the workplace and doing a good job. And I took that work and uh, combined it with my social work expertise and took it into the workplace. So I, I, the idea is that my company is called From the Inside Out Project, and the idea is to take things from the inside rather than the outside, just the outside general training, which is, you know, smile at the customer, be kind, uh, you know, do your job. And um, so that that's where I am. That's where I am with my work. That's fascinating. Well, you know, most small businesses start off with uh, – uh, the founder, and then uh, maybe one or two employees, mm-hmm. and then grows. And yes. it, uh, and because it, it is such a small environment, uh, whatever problems are magnified because you can't spread them over a, a lot of people. So mm-hmm. now, having said that, the floor is yours, Laura. Tell us more. Thank you. Interesting you bring up, yes, that in a small company, small business, obviously you start with a founder, then you build and build and build, and maybe the outside you're building to isn't even that isn't that huge. So you're absolutely correct that these problems uh, magnify. And what I've found um, is, so you have basic problems with an hourly employee, maybe he or she's not doing, serving the customer in the way that you'd like, a receptionist is not, um, you know, performing in a way that you would like the business to be represented. And oftentimes the reaction to that is simply to discipline or say, you know, you have to smile more or you need to do this or that or the other thing. And, you know, sometimes that's fine and that's enough to you know, sort of remind people of what the point of of the job is. But sometimes it's deeper than that, and it's bigger than that. And just telling them uh, or disciplining doesn't uh, really work. And that's what I've found in my own personal experience often and often and out there. And it's also not just hourly employees because it's not a vacuum, you know, especially a small business. The receptionist is directly connected to the vice president and the sales managers and whoever else is involved in the company. So those relationships are key. Well, let me uh, let me just stay on the receptions for one minute. Sure. Often, often he or she, uh, and increasingly it's a he in this in this in the world today, 
mm-hmm. is the first contact someone has with the, with the company, exactly. and it's so important to make them feel, uh, feel that. But um, um, but on the but at, at, at the end, if they're not happy or the, uh, they can really ruin ruin uh, uh, prospects and everything. How do you yes. deal with that? That's you've, you've hit the nail on the head with with all of that because you're absolutely correct. A receptionist is a key person, and um, also in other industries, there'd be other people who are key: the, the greeter at the uh, in a restaurant, the um, front desk at a hotel, anybody who's the first person to contact the customer or potential customer. Um, and in answer to your question. Um, I believe that, again, so let's just stick with the receptionist, and the receptionist is not happy for whatever reason and is taking that out in a way on, on the guests and people coming to the, to the desk. Um, I think it's important to try to discover what the problem is. I mean, it depends on, of course, your relationship, but hopefully you have a strong enough relationship to, to be able to say, like, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm noticing that Jane, Joe, and Sam have had a bad experience with you, and I'm, I'm uh, you know, I don't know, was there an issue with them? Or as opposed to what often happens is this sort of uh, hard line that uh, bosses take, which is the customer's always right, and I got X, Y, and Z complaints, and you've got to be wrong. And I happen to know from being on that other end of the customer service, the customer is not always right. Absolutely. Right? So employees absolutely value when you – you know, come at them with a question like, hey, we got this complaint from Jane or Joe and, and I'm wondering, you know, because you're, you're doing a great job and what's up? So, and then looking at it in terms of, oh, is there an issue with this person or, or is it, you know, a problem we need to worry about with you? Well, you know, okay. Um, you know, the funny part is many employees can't deal with positive feedback. <laughs> Tell me what you mean by that. That's interesting. <laughs> well, well, you know, the, uh, I make it a point if I get good service to to tell them and sometimes to uh-huh. tell the boss. Yes. And and it's amazing the reaction of people to it. Yes. For, when you first when you ask to see the boss, their immediate reaction, "Uh-oh, you're going to say I did something wrong." Exactly. Uh, uh, you know, and then uh, the second reaction is, well, why did he do that? Because good, good service is rare today. Yes. And if you get, yes. And if you get good service, um, well, let me go. Let me put you a little bit on the spot. Sure, um, go ahead. Uh, increasingly, we're we're in a diverse um, workforce. We're mm-hmm. uh, uh, diverse by age, and we're diverse by yep. culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do you deal with that? What's, what's the... That's a tough one, and it's it's very important. I I, I talk a lot about this. I think um, I think it's very important to not so much. I guess I don't want to I don't want to pan any kind of diversity training or sensitivity training or these types of things. They're okay. I've gone through them. I've been you know in the position of having to take them and what have you. But it's it's a bit 
different. Frankly, I think the solution to that or, or the way to address that, I think that has to do with really getting down to the specific people and their group. So, for example, you have a group of coworkers, they're waiters or they're uh, work in a restaurant or they're, you know, office employees that all work together. And there are a variety of ages and cultures, and there seem to be some issues around that. I think it's about really stating what you're observing and like, hey, you know, um, we're, it seems that we're having an issue with Jane, who's been here for 25 years, and Joe, who just got here and he's 25. And, you know, let's work that out because not just work it out, but Joe, who's 25, has got a lot to offer Jane, who's been here for 25 years, and Jane and and the reverse, and to not uh, use that opportunity, I guess that's what I'm saying, to take that conflict, observe it, and say, hey, whoa, you know, I'm wondering if we can sort out what, what the issue is here, and then let's see how we can benefit from each other, because... You know, as I'm sure you know, there's tons to be learned from someone who's been around for a long time and the opposite of someone brand new with more interest in technology and variety of other other things, new ideas, etc. So I think it's about observing, seeing that, and not just seeing it as, a, oh, we've got to have a sensitivity training now because, you know, Joe doesn't understand, but looking at the specifics of it and saying, hey, what can we get from each other and how can this also benefit us, meaning Joe and Jane and the rest of the coworkers, in going forward, in being happier, being more productive? And, you know, isn't that the hope for everyone at the end of the day, to enjoy your work day rather than dread it? Well, you know, you, you, that's a very interesting point. And it's uh, um, the older people feel resentful of the younger people. Yes. And the young, younger people have no use for the older people because they don't know what they're talking about. Exactly. Um, uh, it, it's a it's a it's a very funny uh, thing, and we we are in the um, emerging ma- marketplace. Um, uh, uh, I'll go again sideways a little bit because you uh-huh. seem to have some of the answers. Um, I saw a great cartoon uh, uh, the other day of uh, uh, customers uh, ordering their food via um, uh, an electronic uh, ordering uh, place. And the mm-hmm. caption read, if you want $15 an hour, meet your replacement. And I, I thought it was, <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, I thought it was a very accurate um, um, uh, statement because uh, yes. uh, um, and, and obviously we're having conflict. You can go, uh, uh, being on the road as I am, uh, I use a lot of uh, Wendy's and uh, mm-hmm. Burger King's, et cetera. And it's amazing the differences in uh, uh, customer service amongst different places you know, within the same chains, uh-huh. and, uh, um, and smaller. And essentially, they are small businesses. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and I've talked to other people um, about the subject, and it seems that this problem is accelerating. Not uh, decreasing. Do you see that? And how are ways of of preventing it? Well, again, I think it's important to address 
the specifics of what's going on. So, for example, when I was uh, working as a server and a bartender, this was a union hotel. So you had employees there who had been there for 15, 20 years doing the same job every day for 15, 20 years, whether that's sweeping the floor, bussing the table, uh, attending to the rooms, answering the phone, talking to people at the front desk. It's a repetitive job. People get into a rut. They get sloppy. They get bored. They get disgruntled. And that obviously comes out on the customer. It's not right. It's not okay. It's not the job. The way to go at that, in my mind, is to go at the specifics and sit the people down and talk to them. What's going on here? I know you know how to bust the table and do this, that, and the other thing. What the devil is the issue? Because what managers usually do, they tear their hair out and they're infuriated and they can't let anybody go because it's a union job and all of these things. And they bring in trainers. They bring in consultants to sit us down and explain how we should smile and use the customer's name and upsell the wine and all of these things. We all know that. That's not the problem. The problem is I'm bored and Jane won't tip me properly and Joe is, you know, was rude to me six months ago and never apologized and I'm holding on to these things and I'm disgruntled at home. And again, it's not management's job to do therapy or fix your home problems. But the point is to address like, hey, whoa, something's going on here and let's, as a group, Let's just throw out what, what's the issue, what's the feedback, what's, the, is there, what's, what's going on. And then once you know that, you can do something about it, maybe. Sometimes the issue is uh, specific to management. So, for example, we used to become very disgruntled because we didn't have supplies we needed. You know, we'd say, look, we need martini glasses. We don't have them. So you want me to keep going and keep the smile on my face when I don't have the proper to do my job. So things like that, pretty easily rectified if management knows about it. Well, we'll turn it around for a minute. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a management may not may know about it, but do nothing about it. Um, you know, it, it all isn't the, always the, the the worker's fault or the worker's problem. And sometimes the management. How can yes. they? Uh, uh, what should they be doing in all of this? Well, I think management should do a couple of basic things which really help hourly employees to to do the customer service job better. One is to be very clear in communicating and expectations. When I say communicating, let's go back to the supplies. So if you've ordered martini glasses and they're not in yet, I get that. That's not, you know, your fault and that's, that's fine, but let me know that. Listen, Laura, we don't have martini glass. I'm sorry about that. Use the separate wine glasses. We'll get the glasses by the end of the week, or that's what we're hoping, or whatever. Tell me that. So then I know where I'm going and what I can do. And then make the expectations clear and back me up when you make those expectations clear. So, for example... I worked in a lobby bar, and we had there was a policy, a hotel policy, that you could not bring in outside food and sit in the lobby bar and eat it. Okay. So someone comes in, and I nicely tell them, I'm sorry, but it's our policy that you can't have outside food in here. Uh, and this person gets disgruntled and irate and starts screaming that I'm a 
platinum member and I've been here 20 times and whatever, goes up all the whole the ladder, and all of a sudden it's okay for that person to eat in the lobby. Now, how does that make me look? Not so great. And now I'm irritated because you told me the policy, you told me to enforce it, and now you've doubled back because some influential customer screamed. Next time I'm probably not going to enforce any policies. So those two things really help me, if you do them correctly, help me and make me feel like, okay, you got my back, and I can, you know, help you too. Yes. You know, it's interesting. Uh, 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 just recently I had a very, uh, for a show, um, I, I had pre-registered, but uh, one of my editors hadn't. And mm -hmm. the, the woman at the press room absolutely refused to um, give her credentials. Uh, we have a poli policy. Uh, we don't uh, put names on our stories. And she just would not uh, understand. And wow. we had to bring it all the way up to literally the show management. Because uh, I would, um, and uh, she, at the end of it, she was very, very disgruntled. Mm. But in this case, she was, uh, I call it the tyranny of the uh, little people. Uh, yes. You have, you have people who use their position to uh, really make it hard for other people. And, and those are the people I really don't like. Yes, you're, I agree. The, this, the story you just um, <clears throat> recounted makes me think of somebody who has a teeny bit of power and just wants to use it and show you exactly yes. how, uh, and a lack of flexibility. I mean, that's the other thing that's important to instill, that managers can instill in their, their workers. Um, okay, so this is the policy, but here's how we can be flexible with it. And in your case, okay, wasn't signed up ahead of time, but all right, that's great, and we're happy to have you. It should be a welcoming thing, not a, no. you know, yeah, it's great, you know. Well, but I'm, we're running into that more and more. Surprisingly, uh, I find that the state uh, bureaucrats are becoming more um, uh, flexible as hmm. uh, private uh, uh, my experiences with the IRS, I belong uh, on a nonprofit uh, um, medical marijuana, and uh, dealing with the IRS has been a pleasure. I, I know oh. people don't <laughs> don't say that much about the IRS, but That's they've bent great. over. Yes, whereas in the private sector, uh, let me uh, uh, since we're having such an interesting conversation, let me ask one more. Um, sure. Again, it's a little controversial. Um, uh, uh, harassment, sexual harassment. It is becoming uh, almost a daily occurrence, but um, it's gotten to the point where I don't know who to believe anymore when I read a story. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do you deal with that? Hmm. That's uh, really tough. And I guess my first thought is to say... One of the things that I believe is really important to work on with people, and I believe it's connected, it's connected in this in this case, in which is specifically what you're talking about, is so people, workers can understand that really the first line of how they want to handle something should be direct with the person involved. So in this case, you have stories, and often what I've found 
people use the word harassment, whether it's sexual or personal or whatever kind of harassment, I'm being harassed, and they run down to HR and exclaim their story about this one and that one pushed me or did touched me in this way or whatever it is. And often it's not a lie, but it was a misunderstanding. There was something else happening. There's something else that provoked it. There's a lot of layers. As you said, you're not sure whom to believe or what piece of it to believe. And instead of starting with running to file a a grievance, a complaint, an official, you know, document, let's try to sort it out with the people directly. And one of the things I think a lot of people, workers, managers, hourly, whatever, um, struggle with is how to honestly confront somebody and speak about something that may be difficult Mm -hmm. and speak about it in a way that, you know, uh, doesn't attack, doesn't scapegoat people, but just says, hey, listen, this happened, and I'm wondering, you know, I, I don't get it. And, and have a conversation. Sometimes that conversation eliminates the need for a sexual harassment suit. Now, sometimes that conversation doesn't work and it's not possible, um, but I've seen so many instances of all kinds of things being blown up into HR and the union and the delegate and this and that, where if you turned around and said to the person like, hey, this is the deal, this is what happened, you could have probably sorted it out in a couple of minutes. Well, uh, how true. It's not what you do, but how you handle the aftermath that counts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact that a lot of people avoid any aftermath, they they don't, they avoid conflict at any cost, uh, what they think might be conflict, you know? So to go back Ooh. to the person or to say to the person like, hey, you know, what's the deal here uh, is not an option for them. And I don't think they even think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're getting close to the end, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, let me talk about um, how do you help a person who finally decides this this um, employee must go? Mm. That one is, uh, again, I, I think that's all about having a conversation with the employee, because I would imagine that if that employee, whether they're hourly or management or whatever they are, it looks to you, if you're the boss, the CEO or founder or whoever you are, uh, like, look, it looks like Jane is really burning out here or she's not doing well anymore, and, you know, this looks like this is a problem. I think a, a, a direct conversation, again, go to Jane directly, listen, and again, if it's, it's, it's a matter of chain of command, you're going to go through whomever. The point is to say and encourage Jane, like, hey, look, if this is, if you're looking to advance, uh, if that's the, the issue, let's talk about that. Maybe there may or there may not be a spot higher up. If that's the reason things are not going well, or is it something else going on? And look, here's the deal. We feel, again, make it clear, expectations clear. This is what you were expected to do in this position. And we see that you know, for the last several months, several weeks, whatever it is, you haven't been doing X, Y, Z. And that's the job. So if you're not prepared to do that, we need to speak about having you move mm-hmm. on. Because I, I really uh, I feel like there could be a number of reasons why Jane is not 
performing. And again, it's not about you doing a psychoanalysis or getting into her, you know, personal life or, or even accepting if there are outside problems, because frankly, that's not your, you know, concern, except to say that Jane may be, you know, again, not able to say like, hey, I, I'm, I really need to advance. And then maybe there's a collaboration there. Maybe you find a spot for her that's better. Maybe you don't, and she decides to, you know, time to start looking. Mm-hmm. So it uh, works for both of you. It's collaborative. It's it's good for the company and Jane. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, with, with, yes, that's the with, ideal, of course. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Laura McLeod. She's an HR expert. Laura, do you have a website? Do you have a book? What? How do people find you? I've got a website. It is www.fromtheinsideoutproject.com. I would love to have a book, which I'm thinking about, and uh, I will certainly let you know if and when it comes out. Please, please do, because it is. uh, I I think there's a book always about uh, better management for small business because Mm. uh, small businesses don't really know how to manage people, and they Uh often learn by trial and error. But Uh uh, and uh, that's what we found. It's interesting how many emails I've gotten when I announced um, you're coming on the program. Well. uh, but thank you again, Laura. Uh, say once more time your website. Yes, thank you. Laura McLeod at FromTheInsideOutProject.com. Well, thank you, Laura, for joining us today. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back soon. Thanks so much, Don. I enjoyed it. Have a great day. That, that was very good, Laura. Great. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. You made it easy. Okay. Well, we try to. Uh, <laughs> I, I will I will um email your uh, representative when I get it on the, when I get it uh, uh, revved up and then we put it on one of our Wednesday programs. Sounds okay? great. Terrific. Enjoy your weekend and thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good day. By the way, I have to say yes. we, uh, thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture.